Good to be in church today. It's good to see you all here this morning. Especially glad to see Sister Brenda here again and just praising the Lord for her. Brother Michael's here after his stay in the hospital. We've been praying for you, brother. It's good to see you here today. Praise God for that. Each one of you, it's good to see you here and thankful to the Lord for you. Our scripture reading comes from Job chapter 3. So if you don't have your own Bible, ushers have Bibles available. Raise your hand. They'll bring one to you you can use throughout our service. Job chapter 3, we've been going through, we are going through the book of Job and our series in Job, and now we come to uh, the second part, second uh, part of Job, and that is that the, uh, the action has happened, and now we see the discourse about that, what has happened in Job life, Job's life, and Job is the first one to, to speak. So we're going to start at chapter 2, verse 11, and go through chapter 3 this morning. So would you stand with me as we look together at God's Word? I'll read it aloud and ask you to follow along with me as I read. Job chapter 2, starting at verse 11 through the end of chapter 3. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him. They came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground Seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dark of its dawn be dark, let it hope for light but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet, I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. But why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. 
Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul? Who, who, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I feared comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. God, help us in understanding his word today, that we might relate to it and relate to God because of it. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us to understand it as we preach through it today. Open our understanding so we'll receive what you have for us today. I pray that you take away those things that would distract us from understanding your word and you help us to focus on your truth. Thank you for each one here today. We thank you for those that we have prayed for and see now your answer to prayer. For Michael here this morning and you watching over him and bringing him to this point, we pray, Lord, that you will continue working in his life physically as well as spiritually. We pray, Lord, that you would just help him in wholeheartedly turning to you and, and trusting in you for his keeping for his soul and for his keeping. We thank you for Brenda, and we thank you for her being here again and the healing that you've been bringing in her life. Even though there's still many questions, we pray, Lord, that you would just um, be that rock for her, that she can rest in you regardless of the challenges that she faces and the unknown that remains about her health. We pray for... Um, think of Mac Holt, Lord, thanking you. He's here and um, just allowing him to be with us and to fellowship with us today. I pray for my dad as well that you would watch over, be with him, and strengthen him, give rest and peace and a sense of comfort during his, um, during his days here. And Lord, we think of Sister Minnie Kathy watch over be with her sister Lola Spears she will watch over be with her my wife Donna she will watch over and be with her and she goes back to uh, chemo this week again we just pray for each one of these Lord and the challenges that they face to their health and thanking you for their testimony of trust in you may we um, encourage them and be encouraged by their testimony so thank you Lord for this meeting place and this time together. We mentioned on Wednesday the gift that was given to us by Grace Partner Church, the Gospel Fellowship of Sussex. And we just thank you for their love and willingness to share, unprompted by us, but just to know that there's a need here and give to that need. We pray, Lord, that you bless them as a result of that and bless the gift that was given to us. Now we pray um, for this service now that um, it will be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Please be seated. The story of Job is a very interesting story. It's a true account of a man's life, and it was written and lived so that we might benefit from it. So I wonder why chapters 3 all the way through that talk about this discourse between Job and his friends, what should we gain from that? Well, listen in this morning and see if you have something that is of help to you as Job brings out his sorrow. We call this uh, Job's misery expressed. Now, normally that's something I'd just stay away from. If it ain't happy, if it ain't good news, I, I don't always want to hear it. If, it's, if a movie is sad, I, I, t- I tend not to want to watch it, especially if I know it has a sad ending. I'm like, I'm staying away from that. I got enough stuff in my life to kind of, you know, just, I, I, I don't need that for entertainment. But this isn't just entertainment. This is real life, and it gives us something that we desperately need. And that is this. One of the things that we're going to get from this chapter is the benefit of the right expression of our sorrow and our grief. Think about that for a moment. The benefit of the right expression of our sorrow and our grief. Let's start off with the comforters that came into this picture, Job's friend. Now in chapter 3, they are shown as that. There's no negative connection with them, so I'm not going to give them a negative connection here in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, where it speaks of them. In fact, it says that Job had three, and they're called friends. They heard, first of all, of Job's plight. We don't know how news got around, but it'd be easy to figure out that such an event as that that happened to Job and the extreme loss he went through, word got back to his friends. Now, I don't know how many friends he had, but we're given that these three are the ones who responded. Proverbs talks about a friend as close is better than a brother that's far off. doesn't mean that he loves you more or less. It just means there's a great benefit to have somebody close by. And these are friends that make themselves close by. They hear, first of all, and then they come. They come to Job, and they come to show sympathy and comfort, it says. Not only do they come, but when they come with him, they weep with him. One of the touching verses in scriptures, John 11, do you know it? John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept when he saw his close friend, Lazarus, dead. Uh, We can look at that. It's not just the death of of Lazarus that made Jesus wept, but I think death itself was something that brings sorrow. And so they wept with their friend. And then they did something that is unique, but it's something that we can learn much from. It says the last verse there in chapter 2, 
They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. They sat with him without a word. And so we're introduced now into chapter 3, and we're introduced to this thought. What type of comfort does Job need? In chapter 3, we see his lament. Job begins to express his lament. And I ask the question, I want you to consider this, how is sorrow to be expressed? Let's look at the example that's set before us, and I think it is, in fact, a good example. There's two ways that are shown in these chapters of the expression of sorrow. The first one is silence in chapter 2, where the sorrow is so overwhelming, words, do not, words cannot be found as a proper expression. And so there is a, such a burden and such a grief that there are no words to, to be said, or at least you can't find adequate Words. You, you, if you've gone through something or you've had a friend go through, some, go through something, you, you understand what that is. It's like, I don't know what to say to him. What can I tell him or her at a time like this? And we're at a loss for words. Job himself was at a loss for words. It says he sat there for a whole week and didn't say anything, I would, I would submit to you that there is a proper response of dealing with grief and dealing with sorrow, and part of that is, in fact, inner reflection and silence. That's not the only response, but that is a proper response. Sometimes we just need to, we can't express those inner deep feelings in words, and, and so there's a time when we are silent. I don't know how long that time is, but there was some time when this individual and his friends were just shut down and silent. They, they could say nothing. Now, you know there's a danger in that. Oftentimes, people experience something and they just shut down altogether completely. That's not the experience of Job because we know that that time was limited. And I would suggest to you then, there's a time for silence. In Ecclesiastes, he says there's a time for everything under the sun. Well, there's a time for silence, and there's a time to speak. And so we get to chapter 3, we see that there was a time for silence, and now there is a time to, to speak. There's a time to express that. And so you, 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 we can walk through what Job is, is doing uh, in, in this time. So there's a time for silence, and there's a time for the use of words to express thought. Have you ever seen someone who, who gets hurt, and right away, if they experience pain, it's like they, they can't even say anything. You ask them, what's wrong? What's wrong? And all they do is groan or moan. There's, there's a time when that, that pain is so intense, they can't adequately express to you what's going on. They may not even know themselves in words that they can they can speak what's going on. But you also know that if you're going to get them help, they've got to go from that period to a time where they can at least express. And in fact, you're a friend. You're trying to help them along that path and get them to this part of it 
when they begin to express their thought, their pain, and even their anguish in words. A good friend allows and encourages both of those. You ever have a friend like that? You ever have a friend who understands when there's a time for your silence and allows that, but also encourages and allows you a time to express? A good friend does that. We're told that Job's friends do that. We also know that God does that. How do we know that God does that? We see this in the writing of Job, that God allows Job to be silent. He doesn't condemn him for that. He doesn't prod him, speak up, man, what's going on? Tell us, tell us, tell us. He allows a silent time, but also he encourages Job to speak. And even one of the things that's, that's amazing in the book of Job is that Job is beginning to respond and we kind of relate, and we go, I relate to how you feel, but I didn't know I was free to express that. <laughs> That's kind of what happens in Job. He begins to express things, and God allows this expression. He doesn't condemn it. He doesn't shut it down. He allows Job with questions. Now, by the way, when you see God's answer later on in the chapter, you realize God doesn't answer all his questions doesn't answer all your questions either. But he does allow you to question. He does allow you to speak. He does allow you to express that. The question I have, though, is what is the proper expression of that? I noticed something. At the end of chapter 2, we're told this. It says, verse 10, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That's a great statement, isn't it? The end of chapter, chapter 2, the end of verse 10. <clears throat> the end of verse 10. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Then look at chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed now, I did stop at that word curse because it gives us this connotation. Because we say, oh, well, did he use profanity? No, that's not what he did. And did what he say in his cursing, we'll talk more specifically about what he said, but it, was, it, was it a sinful expression? I would say, do you know? And we'll see why it wasn't. In other words, Job was able to not sin with his lips and yet express the inner anguish of his hurting soul. He was able to do that. By the way, what about the use of profanity? Often when people are hurting, whether it's physically or inwardly, they express it in the way that they know how or only way they know how, and that is in profanity. That's why people curse so much. They want, you, they want to let you know that they're hurting. They want to let you know that there's some turmoil going on inside them, and they are expressing that. Is that a proper or an appropriate way of expression? I think we know that it isn't. But then what is 
an appropriate way of expression. Sorrow is best expressed in the skillful use of words to express thought, pain, and anguish. The skillful use of words versus vulgarities and profanity. When you stub your toe, <laughs> what do you say? What did you used to say? See, sorrow is best expressed in the skillful use of words. And what Job does for us is he lays that out of how we can, in fact, without sin, express inner anguish and suffering and do it in an appropriate way. He lets us know that that's possible. Now, not everyone has the skill to appropriately express this thought. <laughs> but we do have means to do that. In our culture, we use the arts. We use music. We, knew, we, we use singing songs. We use rap and poetry to express those thoughts. And, and those can be proper means and ways to express it because what we see in, in chapter 3 is Job is, is using a very skilled poetic way of expressing his thoughts. I would say to you that we don't always have the skill to do that, but we can gain that skill. And one thing that we can do in, on, on Wednesday night, we're, we're, we're going in, in part of our Bible study, going through Psalms and relating that to our prayer time because we find in Psalms, the psalmist expresses the depth of human experience expressing that to God. He does it in appropriate means. So I would suggest to you and I is use the Psalms. Use the wisdom books like Job and Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes as learning how to express or expressing ourselves through that. Read through that. Pray through that and express that. David expressed the, the anguish of, of having Ones who are very close to him turn on him. Ones who he should have trusted in turn on him. He, he, he expressed all those types of things, and he does that in the Psalms in skillful ways. So we can gain wisdom by reflecting and even using that, teaching ourselves how we can express properly our pain in our anguish. You know, not everybody knows how to express, but everybody wants to be heard. You ever notice that? Somebody's mad. You ever ride the bus or somewhere in public and somebody's mad at somebody, you know, they're having that conversation? It ain't a private conversation. And they don't care that it's not private anymore. You know why? Because they want and need to express their anger. And they're finding the ways to do it. Now, it may not be appropriate ways. And you and I don't want to hear all that. <laughs> but they're doing that. You see it on social media too, don't you? In fact, social media just opened up a whole, whole slew of stuff where people just feel like they can express anything they want to express. They have a need to. Not everybody knows how to skillfully do it, but everybody wants to be heard. So we need to learn how to skillfully express 
those things. And I mentioned how ways that we can do that, even using God's word. What do you do when you're hurting? How do you express in appropriate ways? Do you have a friend who is able to allow you to have that time of silence and yet encourages you to use words and use proper words to rightfully express yourself? And do you have a friend who can help you, guide you in your words to God's true comfort? Not just the expression of yourself, but the purpose is to find comfort, true comfort, that comes only from God. In that thought, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. I'll read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, Listen, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, don't stop there. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So a friend who is skillful to help you in your right expressions of comfort or, or, or sorrow to bring the comfort of God to you and point you to God who's the father of all comfort and who gives comfort through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says we share in the sufferings of Christ. Part of our experience is to experience those sufferings, but we also experience then his comfort that comes from God. Let's go back to our text in Job so we can learn much about the expression of our anguish, of our sorrow, and of our pain. Next, in chapter 3, let's see how Job expresses himself. Verses 1 through 10, we see he laments the day of his birth. It says, Joe, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job curses the day of his birth. He laments that he was ever born. This helps us see the deep anguish that Job was going through. He was going through so much suffering that he wished he did not exist. Notice his words. He, he, he laments and he, in fact, he curses the day of his birth. He said, let that day perish. Let the day be darkness in verse 4. May God above not seek it. You see, if it perishes, we don't have to experience it. If it's dark, we can't find it. We, we won't get to it. He says, may God above not seek it. 
Can God just kind of cross that day off the calendar, so to speak? He's expressing the inner turmoil of his soul. He says, let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let blackness of the day terrify it. Let it not come, he says in verse 6. Let it not come into the number of months. Verse 7, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. He's speaking about his birth. When the baby is born and would come into to, 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 to life with a cry, a joyful cry, cry of life. He says, let that not happen. He said, I, be, I, I would be better off, or at least I would not be experiencing what I'm experiencing right now if I had not been born. Can, 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 you, can you feel him? Can you, can you understand the anguish that he's going through? Something has happened in his life that's so deep that he would like to go all the way back to the beginning and just erase the beginning so it would never happen. He even says this, let the, verse 9, uh, verse 8, let those cursed who curse today who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Yes, what is Leviathan? Leviathan, we not, we're not sure exactly what it's in reference to, but it's some animal, some animal being, and, and suppose some great ferocious type animal, uh, some beast, and probably the best way for us to look at it is a monster. We don't know if it was the, the dinosaurs or some creature that, that was just so big and, and so scary. He says, let the day be scared away by a monster. Let, 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 it, let, it, let it not happen. Let, it be, uh, uh, um, let those curse that day as they will curse a, 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 a monster beast that was coming to us. Now, um, uh, I have a humor in a lot of stuff. So you ever you ever watch those uh, those those old um, uh, Japanese and, and Chinese movies? Godzilla, Godzilla be coming over, you know, and they don't they don't speak in English, so they had the subtitles. But sometimes they don't even put the subtitles on because you wouldn't understand what they were saying. All you hear, Godzilla, right? You just hear all that they have all this fear, and then it's Godzilla, Godzilla. You know, it's like this monster is coming. Oh, no, he's going to kill us all, Godzilla. And so he says, let, let the day of my birth be like that, that it's coming, it's coming. Oh, no, we curse that day. We don't want it to happen. <laughs> That's what he's saying. We, we, let us be terrified of that day as we would if, if, if the monster was coming. Why, verse 10, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb nor hide trouble from my eyes. He said, I wish it had not happened. So he laments the day of his birth. He goes on from there, verse 11, and said, why did I have to live through birth? Why didn't I die at birth. That's what he says, verse 11. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? First lament is that I was actually, that that, that day would never come. And he says, now if the day came, what if, what, it would have been better for me if I didn't live through it. If I was born and then died. Or verse 16 through 19, if I would have 
died before birth, if I'd have been born as a stillborn. Verse 16, why was I not as a, a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? He is saying, if there's some way that I could have skipped this time of suffering, it would have been easier for me. I want you to notice something. I want to spend a little time on this. Job is wishing he wasn't alive. Why? Because of the sorrow, the intense sorrow that he's experiencing and, and saying it's, it's overwhelming. That's his way of expressing that. But in reality, we, we struggle with some of those things. Let me say what Job is not saying. He's not threatening to commit suicide. There's a difference. He's saying, I'm in so much suffering and pain, I could wish that I wasn't alive. But suicide says, I'm going to take my own life. Job never suggests that he's going to do that. What's the point? Why even wrestle with those two things is because the Bible relates to some of the deepest agony and anguish that we can experience and guides our hearts through that. It's saying, hey, look, I know there may come a time in your life where you're so low, you've experienced so much that you wish your life wasn't, wasn't there anymore. You wish that you didn't have to live through the life that you live. Job is expressing that saying, it would be better if I had rest, if I was at peace instead of the turmoil and the struggles that I have right now. He uses some illustrations and examples that help us understand, and look, that, that in, in death, those sufferings are over. But we don't want to oversimplify because Job is speaking as a man of faith, one who trusted in God. He's saying those who trust in God, in death, they reach the end of all their suffering, and it's over. And yes, we look for that. In fact, he suggests, he says, I long for that. I long for that. Look what he says in, in verse 21. Start at verse 20. Why is light given to him who's in misery and life to the bitter and so? He says, why am I still living? And I'm still going through all this pain and agony. Why does God give me life? He recognizes God's sovereignty. God is the one that gives us life. That's why suicide is wrong. God is the one who's sovereign over life and death, and he has not given us the authority to take our own lives. That's his call, and he's to do that. So Job is expressing for us that we can actually go through agony and wish as if we weren't alive and yet express it without crossing the line of saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to usurp authority over God's authority, and I'm going to take my own life. Taking your own life is sinful. It is wrong. It is stepping on, on God's authority and saying, God, I don't like the way you do this, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to bring an end to my life because you won't. And because you want me to live and apparently to suffer, and I don't want to do that, and I'm calling the shots here, not you. That's what the suicidal thought says. Now, we're subject to suicide thoughts, aren't we? 
Because we live in a wicked, sinful, painful world where we suffer. But God is saying, don't go that far. Don't take that step. God says, I'm with you. I understand your suffering. I've written this so that you can see what Job was going through. And yet, he didn't sin with his lips. He didn't cross that line. He says, I'm I'm in so much anguish I could wish I had never been born or I had died as a young person. But he never says, I'm going to take my life. He never crosses that line. So it is possible for us to say, I am suffering intensely and could even wish that I no longer had to deal with this anymore even if it meant my death, but he doesn't cross the line and say, I will kill myself. I will bring about my own death. He never does that. It's hard to walk through the journey with Job because we relate so much to that. Job says this, verse 25, the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. His whole longing is that he might have rest And there's nothing wrong with us longing that kind of rest, that kind of peace, that kind of uh, ceasing of anxiety and drama and suffering and pain. We long for that. Job longed for it. But he's persevering through this. And he's persevering through it for a great reason. I'm so thankful that he's persevering because he's giving us an example. He's setting a path for us in proper thought. Proper thought says this, you can be going through something so difficult that you wish it never happened and you wish you didn't have to go through it and wish death could bring an end to it. But you never take that step. Because you trust God. Because you know that God is sovereign. And that he will meet you where you are. And that is his authority that says life begins and life ends. And when and where and the circumstances of what brings that about. It is his rule that does that. I want you to notice some of the intense words in in Job's thought. In verse 20. He says, why is life given, light given to him who is in misery? The word in misery. Verse 20, bitter in soul. Bitter in soul. Verse 23, he says, my way is hidden. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden? He's saying, I'm lost and I see no way out. In fact, he goes a step further. He says, God has hedged me in. In verse 23, whom God has hedged in. 
hedged in kind of gives you that idea when the police is in the chase of a vehicle, they can finally call up somebody ahead and try to block the road, block the path. So he's got nowhere to go. Somebody's chasing him from behind. Somebody's chasing him, gets him on the side. You got the street or the cars or, 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 or buildings on one side, police cars on the other, and then you have a roadblock set up in here. He has to come to a stop, and he has nowhere to go. Job felt like God had hedged him in. Can you imagine his anguish? Can you relate to that? I know you can. I know you can. I don't know all of your personal issues and struggles, but I know as a human being, we can relate to that feeling. There's times in our life that we just feel low. Job felt that. And Job was a godly man. And he began to express those thoughts in wholesome and right ways so that we might understand that there's room for the expression of that without sin. There's room for thinking through that without going over the edge. There's room for understanding and dealing with the complexities, dealing with the, 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 the hurt and the pain of life without going to that suicide notion. And so Job did and took us along so that we could see what was going on. Notice in verse 21, verse 20, he's saying, why is light given me? That's an expression for life. Why am I alive? In verse 22, who long for death, but it comes not. Why does God give me life if life is so miserable is what he's saying. I've heard that often from people. God didn't intend for me to be miserable. Job is asking that question. Why, is, why do I have life if it's so miserable? It's so miserable, I long for death, but I can't even get there. He says, and dig for it more than for hidden treasure. He says, that my life was so low that I desired death more than a man hunting for, for diamonds or gold or treasures. That's how much I desired to get out of this life. Who rejoice exceedingly, he says, verse 22, and are glad when they find the grave. Doesn't that kind of surprise you that the Word of God would bring that perspective? It does to me, but it says that, that there, there, is, there is room for sorrow, sadness, depression, we might call it, and yet not going past the edge. Verse 24, my sighing comes instead of my bread. My groanings are poured out like water. I think these poetic expressions allow us, as we read through them, as we speak through them, you know, that's maybe something that you can use as an exercise to read aloud and say, Lord, I thank you for your word because it helps express the deepness of my turmoil and help me in the right expression of that.
God relates to our suffering. God relates to our suffering. I want to go back to that verse that we looked at in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Job felt that he was hedged in, but the Word of God informs us that God is also the God of all mercies. He's the Father of comfort. The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And it says, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. God comforts us so that we can be used in in others' lives. I think Job is, is, is experiencing what he experienced so that he can, in fact, relay. The Word of God relays that experience for our good and for our comfort. But it shows us that God is concerned and relates to our suffering. He says this in the next verse. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We share in Christ's suffering. I think there's two ways that we do that. One way that we share in Christ's suffering is that... Um, one of the very deep ways is that as a believer, when you begin to walk with Christ, that you're often treated by the world like the world treated Christ. And so you will relate in his sufferings. And even if the world doesn't treat you to that extent, you can know for sure that Satan will try to treat you in that way. And so we know we have an enemy. That enemy is relentless against us, and that enemy is Satan himself. And Jesus had that enemy as well, and, and he suffered as a result of that. So we relate to that. You say, well, how does that, how does that comfort us? How does that help us? Well, it's good to know that what we're experiencing is, is, is not simply because of us, but it's because of Christ and that we're not alone in what we're experiencing. But it's also good to know that we have help in what we're experiencing. That that's all Satan can do to us. He cannot change our eternal state. All he can do is, is try to just, just try to uh, aggravate us in the walk that we're in. And he can't change the end of what we have. He, he can't change the object of our faith. Or what's going to result is that we're going to spend eternity with God in a perfect state where we suffer no more. He can't affect or impact that one bit. And all he can try to do is, 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 is cause us to, to uh, trust in God less here or try to cause us to be miserable because of our trust in Christ. The other thing we relate to in Christ's sufferings is that we suffer because of we live in a sinful world. We are, in fact, sinful people. I don't always suffer because of my own sin. You don't always suffer just because of your own sin. In fact, the whole story of Job shows that regardless of what his friends say, Job was not suffering because of his own sin. And we give him a, a window into heaven to help us see that. Um, but we suffer because we live in a sinful environment, this earth, this realm, 
and Satan is, is walking to and fro and causing havoc and bringing all this mess, and he's got the whole world in his hand, really. And we suffer as a result of that. Now, we pray, Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. That's what we're looking forward to, to God's kingdom come, coming. It's going to come and our suffering will end. But right now, we're in a wicked kingdom and we suffer as a result of it. To that degree, that suffering isn't going to end until we're taken out of this kingdom. It's not always the same intensity, but it's ups and downs. But we're in it until we get out. That won't really end. But we suffer because of that, and we suffer because of sin, whether it's our own or sins of others. We suffer because of that. Christ never suffered because of his own sin. He suffered because of our sin, and he suffered for the sake of our sin. He suffered for the sake of the sin of the entire world so that he might free his people from that sin. So God used suffering, in his case, to free us. So we can be thankful that God has chosen Christ's suffering to free us from our own suffering. That doesn't answer all of our questions. My biggest question is, God, why you do it that way? You know, you could have just had heaven and every, and they live happily ever after with no middle story of suffering, right? Not much drama in that story. But I don't get the answer to that. God does things in his way so that he gets the glory, and, and, and I can't dictate. I'm not God. I can't dictate the way it's going to happen. But I can say, thank God that it is sure to happen, and he's with me through this time. And he's proven Satan to be a liar. He's proven Satan to be who he is, and he's using my life and your life to do it, and he's going to grant us the strength to endure our suffering. That we can be sure of. He did that in Jesus. Didn't take the suffering away, but granted the grace and the strength to endure that so that his will will come about as a result of that suffering. That's what he's done with Jesus. Jesus endured the cross. He died on the cross to pay for my sin so that I'd be free and I could be taken out of this sin-cursed world and brought into his kingdom and live eternally there. That came about because of Jesus. And it came about because of Jesus' suffering and his enduring of that suffering on my behalf, on your behalf. So God relates to our suffering. Christ experienced extreme suffering, agony, mental suffering, pain, physical suffering as a result of our sin. And he suffered on our behalf. So as we close this section, we've looked at a number of important topics. How do you endure your suffering? What's the proper expression of that suffering? How do you express that without sin? Let me say this. Express your suffering to God. He's listening. He is listening. The Bible says he has numbered the hair on our head. <laughs> he, 
He knows all about us. He cares about the details of our lives, and he is listening. Express your suffering to him. Express your suffering through him. Use his word to find words for the agony that you are going through so that you can learn to properly express it and to put it in the light of God's word himself. Then endure your suffering because of faith in Jesus Christ. Be thankful that God has given us examples like Job himself to say that here's a human being living in a sinful world who himself has sins that he has to deal with, but he's found a way to express his suffering in a way that isn't sinful, in a way that's helpful for him and helpful for us. Endure your suffering because of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. <laughs> He's the ultimate Job. He's the one that took on suffering. Not of his own, but for us. And endured it and set the example for us. So because of our faith. God loved his son Jesus and yet he allowed him to suffer. He allows us to suffer for reasons that we don't always understand. But we can know that he loves us and he wants us to endure that trusting in him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Help us guide our hearts through right thinking. Help us to confess when we have wrongfully expressed ourselves in inappropriate ways and guide us to the right expression, even the expressions you wrote in your very word. Jesus used many of the wisdom literature, the Psalms, while he was yet on the cross suffering for our sin to show us that he endured in right ways. Help him to be our picture, our example, as we go through the challenges that we face to turn our eyes on him, to look upon him, to endure because of him and what he's endured for us, to be faithful because of his faithfulness to us and for us. And then, Lord, help us to be good friends to others who are going through suffering. Give them that moment and that time for silence when they don't understand your your word says in Romans chapter 8, that verse 23, that we go through some things that we just, we, we groan because of the impact of suffering in our lives. And yet verse 26 of that same chapter talks about the Holy Spirit who takes our groanings to you. And we can't put them to meaningful words. You already understand what we're going through. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to give ourselves to you and your process, even when we don't understand it. It's just to say yes to you because we trust you and we love you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.